Father, thank you, God, for the fact that you revive us. Lord, there are some days when we just feel empty and alone, and God, we need resuscitation. And God, you breathe life into us. God, there are so many days we feel uh, like we're not worthy, we're not enough. God, we can't do this, we can't go on. I pray that in those days we would look to the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, for our satisfaction for everything. God, too many times we uh, put our hope and our trust in something else to fulfill that need in our hearts. And God, I pray that we just remember that Jesus Christ is the answer. God, that what our heart longs for and needs so desperately is Jesus Christ, and nothing else can fill that void. And even though sometimes we're mistaken uh, by assuming that something else can fill that void, God, you forgive us. God, you show us. You correct us and instruct us and bring us back to you. And you go, I really am the answer. And God, I thank you for that. I thank you for revealing that to me in my own heart. God, some days I feel alone and empty, just like every other person. And God, I, I just thank you for the fact that you revive me the way that you do. God, thank you for being everything that I need. Thank you for being all that I can trust and put my faith and hope in. God, we glorify your name now as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So we've been in a series called Redeemed, and we've been talking a lot about the Old Testament. And God impressed upon my heart for some reason that we needed to look at the Old Testament, or the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. And uh, that's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, it started out as a series called Ruth, and God, like halfway through it, changed it to Redeemed because we talked about the fact that, that God uh, uses... Uh, the story of Ruth and Naomi to remind us that we uh, have a Redeemer. Yeah, we have a Redeemer in Jesus Christ. And uh, for Ruth and Naomi, uh, the picture of that was through a man named Boaz. And we started out with this picture for the, redeem or for the Ruth series. And everybody assumes, well, that must be Ruth. The, the, the fields that Ruth went in and she picked up you know, the, the barley and, and she went through there and, and gathered grain so that her and Naomi could have something to eat, and, and that must be the fields that Boaz had. And I said, in my mind, that's where I was going with this picture. And then halfway through it, when God changed the name to Redeemed, I started thinking, you know, that's not just Ruth picking grain. That, that's Gomer. After her husband, Hosea, had bought her back, out of slavery, out of sexual slavery, and said, you're no longer going to be in prostitution anymore. I'm going to pay the price for you, even though I own you already, in that you're my wife, own not necessarily in that he controls her, but she belongs to him, and he goes and rescues her out of prostitution and actually pays 15 pieces of silver to rescue her out of that. And it's like, that is the picture of us. That is the picture of the Israelites back yeah, in those days, that is the picture of us. In these days, we've sold ourselves out to everything else in the world, all of these other gods. The people of Israel had worshipped these other gods. And I said, probably the God that we worship the most is probably ourselves, right? It's probably ourselves. If we were to say, who, who do you worship? It's probably not a football team, actually. Especially not after this weekend. It's okay. You can laugh in church. I said that last week. You can laugh. Unless you're a JSU fan, maybe it owns you then, I don't know. Um, I went to JSU, go Gamecocks. Anyway, uh, I won't get too much on football, I don't like to talk about football. Uh, but anyway, so we talked about how our God is probably us. If we were to say what's coming between us and God, where does he fall on the list of things that are important in our lives? 
we are probably up on the top of the list and God is somewhere further down the top, right? If we were to say, what, what idols are we worshiping? Probably the biggest one would be ourselves doing what we want, our desires, our needs. That's what comes first in my life. I don't care necessarily. We'll fit this God thing in there somewhere, but, but me, that, I'm looking out for number one, right? Isn't that what we all say? We're looking out for number one. You know, we're going to talk about that today, actually. We're going to talk about how the disciples were, they were kind of doofuses, just like me. You know what I mean? They, like, they weren't real smart sometimes. They did some dumb stuff, and they were selfish sometimes. And, and the fact that, that Jesus has this conversation with them when they were being really dumb. And you know what he says at the, the end of the conversation? He says, I am the ransom for many. I am the ransom for many. In Mark chapter 10, that's what we're going to be studying today. And it's just amazing to me sometimes as I'm studying this stuff how God continues to reveal things to me. Like when I started looking at the word redeemed and what does the word redeemed mean? There was one actual synonym with the word redeemed. It was almost like a ransom was paid. And I said ransom. Now that, that's a, a concept, man. When you think about what a ransom is paid when somebody is kidnapped, when they're held hostage, we pay a ransom to get them back, to get them out of that place, very much like where Hosea and Gomer was and, and the fact that Hosea paid kind of like a ransom to get her back. He said, she belongs to me. I want to I get her back. And Jesus says something very profound in Mark chapter 10. He says, I am a ransom for many. What was going on? During this situation. What was going on at this time when, when Jesus had to point this out to them? The disciples not being real smart. These are, these are Galileans. They don't have a lot of money. They don't have a lot of resources. They're fishermen. Most of them are fishermen. We got a tax collector thrown in there. We got a guy named Judas Iscariot. That's from Kerioth, a place very much south of there. And we got some different folks. But, but pretty much they're like fishermen hanging out together with Jesus. Fully committed to Jesus, okay? I mean, like, these guys are in. Like, they left everything, left their nets, left everything to go and, and be a part of what Jesus was preaching and teaching, which was repentance and the kingdom of God and what it meant to be part of the kingdom of God and what it was really like to have a relationship with God. And, and they're in on this. They're like, we leave everything behind. We're going and we're going to be with Jesus and we're going to do whatever Jesus tells us to do. And Jesus puts them through a training session. At one point in time, he sends them out in pairs. They're not ready to go out on their own yet, although they will one day go out on their own. And at one point in time, Jesus says, you go out in pairs of two, go out there, and you start preaching about the kingdom. And they do that. And they're fully in to what Jesus is saying. They're, I mean, they're sold out. Just because you're sold out to Jesus doesn't mean you're not selfish anymore, does it? <laughs> I mean, I wish that, that I could, like, immediately, I'm in with Jesus, I'm, I'm doing this this, this Christianity thing, the best way I know how, I don't have to deal with selfishness anymore. Well, wouldn't that be nice, right? right? I'm not selfish anymore. I, I, everybody else is first, and, and I, I don't really care so much about me. We're gonna, I, I'm going to put them first, and I'm going to be last. You don't really have to deal with That would be really nice if we didn't have to deal with that, would it? Being sold out to Jesus and his message doesn't mean that you're exempt from being corrected. Obviously not. We're all here. We're studying God's word, and, and God needs to show us things, and God needs to correct us on some things. It's the, the process that happens as you commit your life to following Christ. You say, God, you got to show me where I'm messing up. you got to show me where I'm not falling in line. 
This process is called sanctification, right? This the Holy Spirit. You surrender your life to Jesus Christ, okay? You give him your life. Say, not, not, not my life anymore. It is Christ that lives in me now. And you say, I'm done with me. It's all about Jesus. And God goes, good. You got the Holy Spirit. He's a comforter. He, he lives within you. He's showing you stuff. He's constantly correcting you and showing you things. And he uses scripture to do that. He, 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 he says, Remember what it said here? You remember when Kenny preached this? Do you remember what you read on Tuesday? Do you remember this? Do you remember that? He constantly used in Scripture to remind us of things. And here we see the disciples being like us, and they need to be reminded of some things. They need to be reminded of how selfish they're being right here. I'm just going to be straight up honest with you. If you don't like the fact that you're selfish and God's really convicting you over that, you might want to leave now because that's what we're going to be talking about. I mean, it's, it's just the way God works. Everybody in here is going, how is he talking to me? Now, does he know what I've been praying about this week? Does he know the things that are going on in my life? God does. I don't, but God certainly does, and he wants to speak to you through his word. So this morning, we're going to look in Mark chapter 10. These disciples, who did, like I said, didn't have very much. They left everything to go and follow Jesus, and they're still dealing with selfishness because, I mean, like I, I said before, uh, the guys that Jesus picked were ordinary men. As a matter of fact, we're doing a small group study called 12 Ordinary Men. Um, I encourage you to be a part of that. All you got to do is read and talk about it. That's all you got to do. Pray together, uh, lean on each other, and, and, and just fellowship with one another and eat something together. And that's what small groups are all about. Okay? The books are 10 bucks a piece. We're going to be meeting in here tonight uh, to, to begin to go through. Uh, this book, if you can read chapter 1 before you come here tonight, great, wonderful. If you can't do that, it's okay. Come anyway. We can still pray together and enjoy each other's company and all that. So we're doing that tonight. So that was a shameless plug for small groups to start tonight. Mark chapter 10, we see these guys, these disciples of Jesus, don't really have very much, left everything. Now they start to be selfish a little bit. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Who are they talking to? They're talking to Jesus. And you know how I know that? Because it says, Teacher, uh, Rabboni, is what uh, it would, they would have said. They said, We want you to do us a favor. I like this. I like this. This, this, uh, this speaks of their uh, devout understanding of religion, right? So they, they're actually acting like four-year-old kids. You ever, you ever have a little kid come up to you? Mom, Dad, I want you to do something for me. And she promised me she's going to do what I ask. You good with that? You try to get them to buy in before you tell them what it is that you want. You're like, Mom, Dad, are you going to do what I'm going to say? Are you going to give me what I need? Are you, are you in on what I'm asking right now? You try to get them to buy in before you actually ask them for whatever it is that you're wanting. You guys did that. You know that you did. You probably got kids that do it to you now. Mom, Dad, I need something. And you want them to go, okay. And then you go, well, here's what I need. It's, it's, a, it's a nice car, and it has a little symbol like this. It's got three little spokes on it. You know, like you, you want them to buy in before you, you tell them what it is, and that's what the disciples are doing, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Why is this important? Why does it matter, the fact that they're sons of Zebedee? Well, actually, if you look through Scripture, the indication is most likely that their mama was Jesus' aunt. They're pulling the family card on Jesus. Like, and in one of the gospel accounts, I believe it's Matthew says, 
their mama even gets involved in the conversation and says, Hey, my sons are asking for something. Will you listen to them? Here we see James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Most likely these guys are Jesus' cousins trying to pull the family card. And they're going up to Jesus saying, We want something. Will you give it to us? And Jesus doesn't fall for that. Man, he's God. He knows what you're up to. Don't try to pull a fast one on Jesus. He knows what he's doing. He knows what's on your heart even before you ask. So good luck trying to pull one over on Jesus. You try to ask him, like, come on, man, you good with this? We need something. You, like, fulfill all of our needs. Surely you're going to just say yes, right? That's what Jesus does. Every time we ask him for something, he says yes, right? You can laugh at that, too. Um, Many times when we ask Jesus for something, he does not just say yes. Jesus asks, what is your request? What do you want? Hey, guys, what are you up to? What are you trying to pull? I think, I think in the Greek, that's what it said. What are you trying to pull, guys? Verse 37, they replied, When you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in the places of honor next to you, one on the right and the other on the left. Well, the good part about this conversation is the fact that they know that Jesus is going to have a kingdom. Right? Well, that's good. They're in on Jesus and him having a kingdom one day. They recognize that. The bad news is, is they want to be way up in, in the food chain in that kingdom. They're like, you know what? We've sold out everything to you. We didn't have a whole lot here on this earth. So you know what you could do like, in order to kind of make up for the fact that we've surrendered everything to you? You could like give us a high place in your kingdom. One of us could sit on the right and one of us can sit on the left. That will be good, right? These are guys that didn't really have a lot to begin with, gave up everything, followed Jesus, and now they're out. They're like, it's payback time. It's payback time. Well, that doesn't sound like us at all, does it? That doesn't that sound like Christians at all. Jesus, I gave up everything to f- come and follow you and be a part of your kingdom. Now I, I'm really looking for a payback. I'd really like, like a nice crown, some, some jewels, and, and I really want some stuff that is going to kind of pay me back for what I've invested in this thing. It's time that you start, you start giving back a little bit because I've given a lot. I know nobody in here suffers from that at all, do you? Uh, there's nobody in here that says that in the back of their mind. They never say, yeah, I should be getting something out of this because of what I'm putting into it. Yeah, yeah, we do. We absolutely do. Sometimes it gets really hard and we get really desperate and we're like, don't want to come to church. And we come to church anyway. We're like, well, I better get something today. God, you owe me today. I, I had screaming kids and one of them had a bloody forehead and we got here anyway. God, you owe me something. I best get in something. I, I mean, it better be a good donut or something. I best be getting something when I come to church today. We do that, don't we? And here we see the disciples doing the same thing. You know, when your kingdom comes, will you, will you let us... Sit to your left and to your right. There's always a but. I see that in verse 38. But Jesus said to them, this ain't all this cracked up to be. It doesn't look like what you think it looks like. It's not exactly how you think, guys. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. You, you don't know what you're signing up for. You don't really understand what you're asking. You want to be high in the kingdom. What you think it takes to be high in the kingdom is not looking out for yourself like you think that it does. Like in this world, if you look out for yourself, if you look out for number one, then you get, you get somewhere, right? If you step on other people's backs or you, you, you push other people out of the way, then you can get where you're going. And that's how it works in this world, right? If you want to get somewhere, push people out of the way. 
Take care of number one, and then you'll get somewhere. Jesus is like, that ain't the way it works in the kingdom. That ain't at all the way it works in the kingdom. As a matter of fact, it's the complete opposite of that. He says, are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I am able to drink? I am about to drink, excuse me. Are you able to baptize for the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? He keeps telling them over and over again, man, i got to suffer. It's going to be awful. It's going to be nasty. It's going to be wretched. But it, it's got to happen. He's like, I've got to suffer some awful, nasty, gruesome stuff. And you don't understand. If you're asking to be like me, if you're wanting to sit on my right and my left, you don't know what you're asking for. There's a price that has to be paid, a ransom that has to be paid for many. First of all, nobody else can do that besides Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life. These guys are trying to be like Jesus. They, they're not God. They don't, they're not fully man and fully God at the same time, so they could never be the ransom for many. But they're trying to be like that, and, and Jesus goes, you don't know what you're asking for. Are you ready for the flesh to be ripped off your body? Are you ready to have a crown of thorns pressed into your head? Are you, are you ready for them to pluck the beard from your face? Are you ready for them to punch you in the face with their big signet rings and put marks in your face? Are you ready for them to put you over a stump and, and, and just beat you and beat you to your unrecognizable as a human being? Are you ready for that? Are you signing up for that? Because that's what you're saying when you say that you want to be on the right and on the left. He says, you don't know what you're asking for. Just when you think the disciples couldn't get any dumber. I, I know everybody's going to tweet that. Can you just say the disciples were dumb? Yeah, they were. You can tweet that. I don't care. They were dumb just like you and me. Absolutely they were. This is what they said. Look, I mean, he's talking about suffering. He's talking about the fact that that he's going to be baptized with suffering. He's going to be fully immersed in suffering. Suffering is going to be completely consuming him. He's going to have to digest the suffering. He drinks from a cup of suffering. And they go, oh, yes. Verse 39, they replied, we are able. Yeah, we're, we're in. This is, this is what Jesus says. He knows the future. He knows what's going to happen by the end of their lives. And most of these guys... All except for one, all except for John, who would be beaten to the edge of his life and exiled to Patmos. I mean, they're all like going to suffer martyrdom, which means to, be, to die for their faith. Jesus says, and Jesus told them, You will indeed drink from, a bitter cup, from my bitter cup and be baptized with the baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or on my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. God has gotten this all worked out. He says, you don't need to worry about it. It's not for you and me to worry about how this kingdom is going to be set up. God has got a plan, and God is going to take care of that. And he's going to put the people in the places they need to be. You don't need to be focused on that. But you do need to understand that you will suffer, and you will drink from this cup of suffering. And it's going to be difficult, and it's going to be very, very bad. And we know that, that some of these guys, I mean, I don't want to get all gruesome on you. But I will tell you how some of them died. Uh, Matthew, by, by all accounts, was, was burned at the stake. Like burned alive. Put on a stake. They burned him alive. Some of these guys were, were stripped of their skin. Like they just filleted them. Some of these guys had, had their heads crushed with a mallet. I mean, it was like gruesome stuff that these guys endured. 
You know, Jesus, I believe, was trying to open their eyes to, you know what, you need to be focused on the kingdom and the fact that that's what's going to, that's what's going to sustain you forever. That's what's, where you're going to be, but you don't need to be worried about your place in the kingdom. You know what I'm saying? You, you need to be focused on the fact that, that you indeed are going to drink from this cup of suffering, but you're worried about the details you don't need to worry about. Because on that day, when it gets really real and they're about to burn you at the stake, What's going to matter is the kingdom, not your place in the kingdom. And it's, it, it's, it's not an easy place to get to. It, it's, it, it's not a place that, that it's just you just check a box and move right in and slide right in because you've earned it. See, the way that it works in the kingdom is exactly how Jesus explains it here. Oh, oh first we've got to get to verse 41. This is funny, too. Then when the, other, the ten other disciples heard that James and John had asked, they were indignant. This is not a righteous indignance, okay? They were not like, oh, you guys shouldn't be saying that. They, they weren't like, oh, you shouldn't be saying that to Jesus. You should be worried about the kingdom and the gospel and repentance and all that kind of stuff. You shouldn't be worried about your place in the kingdom. You know why they were mad? They were mad because James and John got there first. They wanted to be up there asking first, like, I want to be on the left and on the right. James and John, they just happened to ask first, but I want to be up there too. Surely you've got enough room at the top for all of us, right? They're mad about the fact that they didn't get there first. James and John beat them to the punch. They're already asking. They're like, wait a second. We've got to get in on this action, you know? They're frustrated. You know why? Because they're all human. And they're all struggling, trying to figure this thing out. And here we see them. They're, they're, they're like indignant. I like that word, indignant. Jesus called them together. He said, okay, guys, we got to talk. It's time for me and you to just sit down and let's, let's talk about this. Man, don't you need that sometimes? No, don't you, you get stuff so consumed in your mind where you're thinking, uh, yeah, I, I think I know what I need, and then Jesus just brings you in. He says, we need to talk. It's time to get serious. It's time to stop playing games. We just need to talk. And here, that's what Jesus is doing. Come here, guys. See, he loves them. That's the whole thing. He loves them. That's the thing with you and I. We get so out of whack and so messed up and we, we think we got it all figured out. And, and he goes, you're missing everything, but I love you. Come here, let's talk. That is amazing to me that he would do that. He, he could have just said, guys, you're, you're a bunch of idiots and you don't understand. But he, he brings them in and says, Let's talk about what it really means. I tried to tell you that it's a cup of suffering, and I tried to explain it to you, says, but this is what he says. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that rulers in this world lord over it, lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. He says, Everybody else is pushing their way to the top. Everybody else is trying to climb the corporate ladder and make their way so that they, they do what is best for them and they take care of themselves. He said, But not for you guys. It's got to be different for you. If you're going to be one of mine and you're really going to be one of my followers, it, you can't look like that for you. You know what Jesus is saying to all of us in, in this? He's saying, It can't be like that for you. You can't push your way to the top. You can't put yourself first. You can't, you can't do everything with yourself in mind. He's telling you the same thing he's telling the disciples. He says, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. 
And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is what he says. He says, if you want to be at the top, you've got to be at the bottom. See, the kingdom is different. It's, all, it's upside down. In, in order for you to get someplace in the kingdom, you just got to make yourself low and make yourself humble and make yourself willing to serve other people. And that's why the three tenets, if you want to call them that, a simple church, reach, teach, and serve, because service puts us at the bottom. It puts us at the low, low, low place where we would have to be to us for us to understand what it really means to be great in the kingdom. We, we got to serve everybody else. We got to put everybody else in, fr- in the front of the line and us be last and say, we want to serve those people, take care of those people. We want to do the things that God's called us to do for those people. And Jesus says, that's what I'm talking about because that is what I'm going to do for each and every one of you. That's exactly what I'm going to do on the cross for each and every one of you. I just want to, I'm going to read it to you. You don't have to turn there. You don't, I just want you to listen. There's sometimes you just need to listen. I want you to hear what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other and loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. Listen to what he says in verse 3 of Philippians chapter 2. It says, don't be selfish. Paul says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. It says this. It says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. For when he appeared in a human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. And that name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He says, do nothing. Not a selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in all things consider others better than yourselves. He says, you know what you need to do? You need to look at yourself the way Christ looked at himself. He didn't look at himself as God. He looked at himself as a servant. Not only did he look at himself as a servant to come and to serve and to wash the feet of the, the disciples, the people that would one day give their lives for the gospel and for the kingdom, but he also looked at himself as a ransom. This, this is the situation, all right? This is the situation. We're held captive in our sin. Now, what is our sin? Our sin is the things that we want to do, our selfish nature, our desire to fulfill the flesh and the desires of the flesh. That is what sin is, right? So we're held captive in that. We know that it's against God. We know that, that it's anti-God to be consumed with the flesh and the things that we desire. We know that that's the things that, 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 that breaks God's heart. And we do it anyway. And we cling to it. And we want it. And we desire it. Give me the sin. And God says, I want to 
rescue you out of that. You're held captive. You're held hostage. There's a terrorist holding you hostage, and it's the terrorist is sin. He says, I got a way. I got a way to pay to get you out of bondage. I got a way to get you out of that place. I got a way so that you can be set free. I just got to pay the ransom. You had a choice. You could listen to me and follow my will and do the things that God loves and, and God desires and God wants in your life, but you chose another way. And because you chose that way, you were held hostage. And God says, but I want to pay the, pay the price for you to get out. Well, what does it cost? What does it cost? He says, I'll, I'll give you my son. In exchange for him, in exchange for her, I'll give you my son. Now, he didn't do anything wrong. He lived a perfect, sinless life, and, and, and he didn't deserve it. But I'm going to give you him in place for that person that's a God-hater, for that person that, that loves their sin, loves the desires of their flesh. I'm going to give you my son for them because I want them. I want them. I, I want a relationship with them even though they don't want a relationship with me. I want a relationship with them more than they want a relationship with me. I want to have them in my family, even though they've abandoned me. Even though they, they, there's no evidence in their life that they want me, that, that's who I want. Those people that are consumed with their selfish nature and, and just want to be at the top of the ladder, they're just consumed with themselves, and I'm going to take care of number one. That's the ones that I want. Give them to me. Let them come be my, part of my family. In exchange, I'll give my perfect, sinless son in exchange for them. How does that sound? That's why they call it amazing grace, right? Because it don't make sense. We chose that way. We choose to break God's heart. We choose to rebel against God. And God says, I still want you anyway. We saw it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. We see these disciples exact, acting exactly like you and I act every single day. Selfish nature taking over. And God says, give them to me. I want them. I'll give you my son so that I can have them. How does that make you feel? I know how it makes me feel. It makes my heart ache to think that he would do that for me. It, it makes the inside of me feel so guilty. You know what's amazing to me? He wants, he wants me to give him that guilt too. He, he wants me to give even the guilty feeling I feel because I've broken God's heart. He says, I want to take that away too. When I give my son as a ransom for you, I want to take away the guilt too. Give that to me too, son. Give that to me too. These words, man, they're not just words on a page. It's the reality of what Christ did. It's the reality of who he was. It's the reality of the cross. And it's powerful and it's life-changing. But you've got to accept it. And you got to say yes to Jesus. Let me pray. Father, God, there's been uh, so many times in my life, God, where I've uh, just been so selfish. I only cared about me and what I wanted, fulfilling my desires. God, I'm so sorry for that. God, it, it, it blows my mind that in my selfish way that I live, God, that you would say that you still wanted me. 
you still wanted me to be a part of your family. God, but that's exactly what you do. There are people here, God, they don't feel like they're worthy. They don't feel like they know enough or, or understand enough. And God, you just desperately want a relationship with them. God, if there's somebody here that doesn't have a relationship with you, God, draw them to you. God, draw them to repentance. God, break their hearts. God, do great things in their life through the power of your gospel. God, if there are people here that just don't, they, they don't, they don't understand and they just need a, a desperate touch from you because they, they, they've let this selfish nature take over over time and Lord, it's consuming their lives and they, they've gotten away from you and, and they're not focused on you like they need to be. God, I pray for that soul too. God, I pray that you would just draw them in and say, come here and let me talk to you. Come here and listen to what I have to say to you. Come here because I love you and I want you to understand. God, I, I just pray, Lord, as people need healing in their lives, God, I pray that they would run to you. God, as you embrace them with open arms and saying, just come here, come to me. God, I pray that people would run to you, whether it's for salvation because they know that they're not saved, they know that they don't have Jesus in their life, or God, if it's just because they feel empty and alone because they, they're afraid of what's going on in the places around them. God, whatever you need to do, God, however you need to just bring people to you, God, I pray that they would just listen to you as you say, come, come here, listen to me. I want to speak truth to you. I want to love you through my word. God, whatever you need to do in this place, I pray that you be glorified and I pray that we be obedient. God, thank you so much for this word, this life-changing word. May we never take it for granted. God, thank you for loving us the way you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you all please stand? Here.